scripture passage tonight, which is Mark 4, verses 35 to 41. And this is what it says. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with him in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of the Lord. Ben, thank you so much for that introduction. It's always a privilege to be here, and I will say my wife Liz and my five kids say hello, and I'm just aching. My son just turned 17. He's starting to look at colleges. I hope he goes to UGA. So if you see someone on campus that looks like a Keanu Reeves Jr., that's probably my son. So twist his arm and tell him he needs to go to UGA and be a bulldog. I will say this too. Uh, Ben did share, uh, I did start Good Shepherd. And uh, it was just a fun season for me. Working with Morgan Anger was just one of the most, one of the highest privileges I've ever had, one of the greatest joys. So let me just say this. If you go to Good Shepherd, like this Sunday when you see Morgan, give him a big hug before the service, and each of you do that and say, that's from Clay, and make it really awkward for him, like right before the worship starts. So do that for me. That would mean a lot. Well, as you just heard, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 4 tonight. And I want to share with you not only this text, but some things in my life as well, because I think this text has in common some of what you all go through as well, and that's storms. We all go through a variety of different storms, and it's often the case that Jesus calls us to enter into those storms. But let me mention, before we get to the text, some things that that commend the text to you. And I would say that if you've been a follower of Christ for some time in your life, if you're here tonight because you're skeptical about scripture or about Christianity, or if you're against it, if you're just here to check things out, um, scripture, I think, commends itself for a variety of different reasons. And let me mention two so that we would give our hearts attention to what I believe God is telling us through this word. And the first thing that commends this text to you is its transparency, its openness. Now, just think about this. Think about a time in your life where maybe you failed significantly. You've done something wrong. You've let someone down. And maybe later on, you're you're sharing a little bit of that story with someone else that you're talking to. And it's funny because I think one of the things that we do in those instances is we edit to make ourselves look better than we did in that moment back then. And so for the disciples, they could say something like this. Well, uh, there was this storm. We were with Jesus for quite some time. There was a storm I mean, we got a little afraid, but we got through it, and then we moved on. You could share that story like that. The person that is sharing this story more than likely with Mark, who's writing it down, uh, many scholars believe was the apostle Peter. And Peter, if you know his story, was one of the disciples that really focuses on his failures, his falls, his sins. And the gospel of Mark is the most detailed outline of the failures in his life. It's it's as if Peter is saying, Mark, make sure you write these things down. I used to want to hide these things over and and show everybody else how strong I am. 
But I'm so convinced that nothing can separate me from Christ's love. I'm so convinced that he cares for me that I don't care what anybody else sees about me. They can see that I was terrified out of my mind. They can see that I even question if Jesus cared for me. But I want them to see that. And I want them to see how Jesus responded because I want them to know. He wants you to know the true and living Jesus. So it's the transparency of the text, it's openness about the the failures and the sins of the disciples that really, I think, commends its truthfulness to you. And the next thing is the universality of the need. I just have to mention one word, and I think all of us in this room would go, yes, I deal with that. And it's fear. It's fear. You know, if you don't know this, one of the most frequently commanded things in scripture is do not be afraid. And I think it's most frequently commanded because it's a very common experience for all of us. And I would say, me too. And not only with that command to not be afraid, but along with that command, it often says, don't be afraid for I am with you. God shows up. A a Christian counselor by the name of Dan Allender often says this. I wonder if you empathize with what he says here. He says, different people fear different things with different levels of intensity. But all of us fear what we cannot control. That's what you're going to see in this text. You're going to see disciples in a situation called into that situation by Christ himself, and they cannot control it, and they're afraid. And so we're going to look at this text, and we're going to see two things. We're going to look at in the heart of the storm, and then we're going to look at trust in the heart of Jesus. In the heart of the storm, trust in the heart of Jesus. Let me pray as we move forward. Father, your word has been read to us tonight. Such a privilege to be here amongst these students and these leaders. Father, your word says that you inhabit eternity. That your name is holy. That you dwell in a high and lofty place. But Father, we thank you so much that your word also says that you dwell amongst the lowly and the contrite. Father, that you would humble us all here together tonight in order to do what your word says, to revive the heart of the lowly and to renew the heart of the contrite. Lord, would you do that tonight? Would you revive and renew us, even as you point us to the one who has the power to calm the storms? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to look at in the heart of the storm. That's where the disciples are headed. That's where we're headed tonight as we look at this text. You'll notice the first thing is, in the heart of the storm, Jesus calls them when they are exhausted. They're tired. You can see this in verse 35. It says, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. Now, if you look at the rest of chapter 4, you'll notice that Jesus has been teaching all day long about the kingdom of God. Uh, you'll notice that more than likely, the disciples were there not only learning, but also serving other people to make sure they could listen to Jesus. I mean, I'm sure you can just imagine as college students, if you had classes from 8 a.m. till 9 p.m. at night one night, and all of a sudden you're asked to do something really big, you might say to your friends, I'm just a little tired. But he calls them into the storm. They don't know that's where they're headed, but he calls them when they are tired and exhausted. 
And you'll notice what Jesus doesn't do is come to them and kind of put his arm around them and say, hey, could you get out your cell phone? Whether it's an iPhone or Android or something else, get out, get out your cell phone, pull out your calendar. Look at Friday around 10 a.m. What you got going on then? Uh, not much. Maybe your economics class is over by that point or your journalism class or nursing class, whatever else it is, and say, well, I'm, I'm pretty open at that point. It's like, well, I would love to schedule a storm at that point if that's convenient for you. He doesn't do that. He doesn't let them know what's going to happen in advance. He doesn't let us know what's going to happen in advance. And it's often the case that when he called his disciples to go into a storm or he calls me or you into a storm, it might come in a season of exhaustion. I'd love to talk about one of those seasons with you tonight about me. My wife and I, we, this was 2012. We had three wonderful children. Uh, we find out that we're expecting another one. We're pretty excited about that. So my wife, who has an uncanny intuition, uh, called me up, and I was having a lot of meetings that day, and she said, would you come with me to the doctor? I'd, I'd love for you to be there as, as I go to this first meeting with my doctor and, and figure out if everything's going okay. And I said, all right, I'll meet you there. And She's talking to the doctor, and they have um, on the screen the scans that she's walking through, and all of a sudden I see there's two circles. We're having twins. <laughs> the doctor says, congratulations, you won the lottery. We were pretty excited about that. I was thrilled, scared to death as well. I don't know how I'm going to do this, five children. But about five days in, we noticed that one started to look really sick, started to lose weight. Babies don't do that. They get fat and chubby, and it's always really cute, and you want to pinch them, right? But he was not gaining weight. He was starting to get sick. We took him to the doctor three times, and they said, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. He just has a cold. We didn't know at that point that God was going to call Liz and I both into the one of the largest storms that we had ever been to in our lives, but he was calling us into it when we were already exhausted. And there are times where you don't know it's coming, but you're exhausted, and he's calling you into a storm. But you'll notice he also calls them beyond their competency. Not just that they're exhausted, but also beyond their competency. You can see in verse 36, it says, In leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and others were with him. Now, you can kind of feel like these are fishermen. These are people who are regular on boats. You know what? We're tired. We got this. We've done this a thousand times. I mean, we could probably do it while we were sleeping. This is going to be easy because they're so familiar with boats and the sea and everything that was going on. They did not know that he was going to call them beyond their competency, beyond their ability to control. He's calling them into the unexpected and into the uncontrollable. You'll notice in verse 37, it says, a great windstorm arose. There's a play on words in this passage with the word great. You see it three times here. But it says, a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. They're afraid. They're terrified. They've seen storms before, but they've never seen a storm like this. For them, they're really thinking it could be the end. They are actually in a life or death situation. This is beyond their competency to deal with, beyond their ability to make things happen. And I wonder if now that we know this story in retrospect, 
why it is that Jesus might be calling them into a storm when they're exhausted, beyond their competency and ability. And I would say this, I think this passage of Scripture commends itself to at least two things, two reasons why Jesus might be doing this, especially in light of the questions that they end up asking towards the end of the passage. He's inviting these disciples to know him more intimately. It's not just Jesus saying, I'm going to send you through this for no reason at all. It's as you walk through this, you're going to get to know more of my heart. He wants them, he wants us to know him more intimately and to trust him more deeply when the storm comes. Whenever Jesus invites you into a storm, even if you're exhausted, even if it's beyond your ability to control, he's inviting you more deeply into his heart. I'll never forget it. Uh, after hearing the doctor say three times, it's just a cold, finally I said, I don't believe it. I'm calling my other friend who's a doctor. So he comes over to my house. It's about 10 o'clock at night. He gets out his little stethoscope. He listens a little Noah's heart, 10 days old at this point. He says, Clay, I don't want to scare you, but you need to get to the hospital as soon as you can. Now, I don't know if any of your parents or you grew up having a Honda Odyssey, (laughs) but let me tell you this. If you don't know it, they max out at about 350 miles an hour. They go fast, all right? I tested it that night. It was unbelievable. It did me well. Got me to the hospital. But you know something's wrong when that doctor has already called to the ER, and even though they're already dealing with serious cases, every doctor and every nurse in there stops and grabs your child and starts to take care of him. He was having what they would later call an acute cardiac arrest. All we heard was beeps and noises and all kinds of things and doctors and nurses shouting all kinds of commands. We felt so helpless. We felt exhausted. We felt like this was beyond our competency and ability to deal with. It might even be beyond the competency and ability of the doctors to deal with. Of what they even shared with us, they put them on a helicopter down to another hospital two and a half hours away, and they said, you just need to be ready because it doesn't look like he'll be alive on the other end of the line. Now, if any of you are planning to be doctors and doing any uh, research or classes, it was called a coarctation. His aorta was collapsing. It was completely shutting. His brain wasn't getting oxygen. His organisms were not getting blood or oxygen. That was beyond my competency to deal with. That was a storm we were walking through. And the disciples continue to navigate their storm as they're in it. You can see in verse 38, notice that it's not only calling them when they're exhausted into the storm and calling them beyond their control and ability to deal with, but there's also now what starts to rise in their hearts, questions that are really accusations. And we'll see about that here in just a moment. It's becoming clear that they don't really know Jesus as well as they could and as well as they one day will. You see, the way they're interpreting reality is the way that I often interpret reality. And I wonder if it's often the way you interpret reality. It's this. Major storm, 
beyond my ability to deal with, I'm exhausted, looks like I'm going down, equals God doesn't care. He doesn't care for me. You know, and it's fascinating here, not only does Jesus call them beyond their competency, but they also get a front row seat to his full humanity. Jesus himself is exhausted. You can see this in verse 38. It says, but he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him up. Now, you'll notice this is eyewitness testimony right here with all these details. He was on the stern. He was asleep. Where? On the cushion. Peter saw this, and he's telling this all to Mark. And he's saying that caused all kinds of questions to rise up in our hearts. Here we are about ready to perish and die. And you're asleep? And the question seems pretty understandable. They say, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Here's one of the things, not all fear does this, but sometimes acute, crisis-oriented fear does. When you get in those moments, whatever they might be for you, where you feel the weight of the storm that you are walking through, when you're exhausted, that you know you don't have the ability to deal with, where it seems like God doesn't care, what happens is this. Acute, crisis-oriented fear can often be the result that our heart, whether we know it or not, has maximized and multiplied the problem while simultaneously minimizing the presence and power of Jesus. Do you understand that? Fear, when it rises up, sometimes is the result of us saying, the problem, it's getting bigger and bigger and more and more. And when we focus on that The presence and power of Jesus gets smaller and smaller, and fear explodes in our hearts. That's why here they ask Jesus as he's asleep, don't you care? I think it's wonderful how in the Psalms, the honesty of the Psalms will often say, there's three or four times where it says, awake, O God. In other words, what it's saying, from my vantage point right now, it looks like you're asleep. It looks like you don't care. And that's the question that they ask, but you can see that it's really an accusation. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Really what they're saying is, you don't care. We're in the storm. We're exhausted. It's beyond our ability to control. You're sleeping. Obvious you don't care. Well, what do we do with this? In the heart of the storm, I would say this. As you grow in knowing Christ and your walk with Him, if you know Him, and this is a lifelong process, there are storms that you will walk through, just like this real, legitimate, rainy, windy storm that they walk through. There will be storms that you walk through, no matter what they are. And the more you get to know Him, you'll realize Jesus knows what He's doing. He knows what he's doing. It's it's such a simple statement. But it takes life long to learn. 
that the next time you enter into that storm when it's so easy to question if he cares, to have a heart that says he's been in with me in all of these storms, I know in this one, even though it seems like I know he does, Jesus knows what he's doing in your life. But also this, Jesus calls you to a relationship with him that is honest and real. Let me mention kind of how that looked in my life. If someone came to me when we were in the hospital, he gets down to the hospital. Here's a fun little tidbit, okay? My youth pastor, he got me in his car because I was not in the condition to drive. We went from Columbia, South Carolina, all the way to Charleston, South Carolina. It's usually a two and a half hour drive. We got there in an hour and 15 minutes. After everything was over with, I gave him the gift of a model NASCAR because that's the kind of driver he was. We beat the helicopter. We did. No lie. But when people would come down to visit while they were trying to get him stabilized, to get him in surgery three days later, they would ask me how I'm doing. And you know how I would respond? I'm doing okay. And God is sovereign and good. I'm fine. Inside... I was going, how dare you? I've worked so hard for you. I've sacrificed so much for you. I've tried to be faithful. And you do this to me? You take my son? How? I don't think you care. That would have been honest. You know, in my prayers also it was, dear father, I know you care for me. You are good. You control every atom in the universe. You control what's happening in his little heart. Please do this. If it was an honest prayer, I simply would have said, I'm so afraid. If I lose him, what will my life look like from this point on? How how will I have the energy to love my wife and my other kids? Because there will be this gaping hole. I'm so afraid. You see, that's the one Jesus wants to interact with, not the facade. He says, bring the real and honest you to me, not the one who's pretending that everything's fine. You can come to him raw and honest. Jesus bids you come just as you are. They're in the heart of the storm. He calls them when they're exhausted. He calls them beyond their competency. They're questioning if he cares. And so you wonder, how's he going to respond to all this? You think, I I think he could respond like this with mild frustration. I think he could wake up and kind of stretch a little bit. (sighs) Come on, guys. You know I care for you. I was just sleeping. I get tired too. Be still. All right, just mild frustration. He could have responded probably like I would have with extreme agitation. I can't believe you. Are are you serious? You were fishermen. You were nobodies. And I picked you. I picked you by name out of everybody I could have picked. I zeroed in on you. I looked at you. I told you to follow me. I made you part of my special group of 12 disciples. I picked you. And whether you know it or not, yet, I am the God who cares for you every single day. 
I have put clothes on your back. I've put food on your table. I've watched after your kids when you are out doing your farm work and everything else. Do I care for you? And boy, what I would do is just be like, you're in the water now. You're getting a drink. There you go. Get a little taste of that. Calm the storm and be like, if you're ready, I'll let you come back in the boat. Right? Or maybe easy rejection. This is what I tend to think Jesus would do to me if I failed big enough. Seriously? You're going to wake me up from my sleep. You're going to question if I care. Now we, we find out later on that he can walk on water. So you can just see him going, I'm out. Just walk away. Right? Like, you guys fend to your own. Listen, when you come to Jesus afraid, and when you come to Jesus not convinced in the moment that he cares for you, and you're actually questioning that, he does not respond with mild frustration to you. He does not respond with extreme agitation towards you. And he does not respond with easy rejection. In fact, he actually responds with almost unthinkable compassion. They have the audacity to question if he cares. You can see with me in verse 39. It simply says this. He awoke, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. There was a great calm. This whole section of the Gospel of Mark is all about Jesus' authority. He has authority over disease. He can heal people. He has authority over demons. He can cast them out. He has authority over nature. He can calm storms. So now we go from into the heart of the storm to learning to trust the heart of Jesus. And one of the first things Jesus does to help us trust his heart is by exposing our heart. See, one of the things that was so cool about this process, even the moment we were so terrified, is the moment they bring Noah in, and I'm trying to see the helicopter people. Oh, there they are, and I rush towards them. And Is he still alive? Yes, he's still alive. And so they bring him in. They put him through a battery of all kinds of tests. They hook him up to all kinds of machines. Some have blue on it. Some have red on it. Some have white. Some are all kinds of 3D images. Some of it are live. Some of it are still shots. All so that we can get a 3D image of every second of his heart. We can see inside of it with machines that cost millions of dollars. How cool. And to help you see inside your heart. And for God to help me see inside my heart. It doesn't take machines that cost millions of dollars. He often uses questions to help you see inside your heart. And here he uses two questions. You can see this as he moves forward in verse 40. He said to them, why are you so afraid. See here, what I want you to notice is Jesus is not necessarily concerned about the presence of fear. You notice he doesn't say, why are you afraid? He says, why are you so afraid? What he's really getting at here to help them understand their hearts is there's an intensity and depth of fear there that we've got to deal with. 
that we've got to bring to the surface and acknowledge. And you can almost see the disciples, at least I do, when Jesus says, why are you so afraid? And I can almost see the disciples looking at each other like, who wants to take that one? And I, I don't know if it was Peter, whichever one it was, stepping forward and going, uh, Jesus, it is circumstantially obvious, right, why we were afraid. Uh, if you don't have amnesia, let me just remind you, five seconds ago, we were in the middle of a storm. In fact, water was coming into our boats, and we were terrified. It was going to kill us unless you did something. So there you go. Nailed it. Drop the mic. Just walk out. Right? Man, I just knocked that one out of the park, Peter might think. Answered that one right. But I think Jesus, by asking a second question, is showing it's not circumstantially obvious. It's actually spiritually much more subtle what's going on inside of your heart. He's going to shepherd them by asking this next question into a deeper understanding of their heart and a deeper understanding of his own heart as well. He doesn't just ask, why are you so afraid? Notice in the second question, he says, have you still no faith? Don't hear in that question criticism and condemnation. Especially if you either have a a background in the church where some reason somehow you've been hurt or not a background in the church and you just feel like all Christians are angry. That Jesus is asking this question with an angry face with his fist raised in the air. Do you still have no faith? I think it's less of that and more of an invitation to know him more deeply. What do I mean by that? When you use the language of still, it often at least means this, that a significant amount of time has passed. For instance, I have a new yellow lab. My kids love it. Her name is Winnie Rue. My daughter named her. She got her for Christmas. And I often say to the kids, is that dog still barking? What that means is a significant amount of time has passed. Is it still barking? Or I might ask them, I asked my sister a couple days ago. I talked to her. She lives in Bozeman, Montana. She has gotten four feet of snow in the last two weeks. And I said, is it still snowing? That means a significant time has passed. I hope it's still not snowing for you. I might say to my 17-year-old son, are you still on the phone? To him, that very communicates. Dad thinks I've spent a lot of time on my phone right now. You might say to a roommate, are you still in the shower? Are you still using the bathroom right before classes? But it means that a significant amount of time has passed. It also might mean that a sufficient amount of time has passed. Some of you, some of you might know this. I'm from Indiana. We kind of love basketball in Indiana. Have you ever seen the movie Hoosiers? Boom, there it is. That's the world I grew up in. And someone might come to me and say, Clay, you are 42 years old. Do you still not know how to dribble a basketball? That's me. I do not know. You'd say, well, a sufficient enough time has passed that any normal person should be able to do that. Clay, you're 42 years old. Do you still not know how to use social media? That's me. I don't know how. I'm on there. Don't really know much of what to do. But a a significant and sufficient enough time has passed 
that the circumstances could be different. And Jesus is saying to the disciples in an inviting kind of way, you've spent a sufficient amount of time with me and a significant enough amount of time with me. Do you still have no faith? So he's inviting them to keep on following him so that their faith would continue to grow. Listen, if fear starts to register on your radar and your heart, it could be an indicator that a desire in your heart should grow to know Jesus more deeply so that fear doesn't skyrocket out of control in our lives. They stabilized Noah. I met the doctor who's going to be the surgeon for him to do his open heart surgery. He looked like he was 12 years old. Did not, I mean, he was like this tall. I'm like, you just graduated middle school. Who are you? So he's like, hello, I'm so-and-so. I'm going to do your son's surgery today. I think it's going to go well. And he talked like that. Just kidding. And so I'm like shaking his hand, and I leave to go in the other room. And of course, I Google him real fast. Who do you think you are? Find out that he's been at like Oxford for 30 years and did a special residency at Yale for 20 years and was the first to pioneer certain open heart processes. I'm like, whoa, take my boy. He comes out of surgery. He says, well, he's going to be good. I'm like, you mean he's going to live? And uh, so this, this is true. At that time in my life, I weighed about 100 more pounds than I do right now. Okay, I was a hefty man. And uh, I was like, so he's going to live? And he was like, yeah. And I went, goosh. That's awesome, dude. Yes. And I think I like lifted him up. He was like, whoa. (laughs) And so a couple of years later, we're at a a fundraiser for the hospital doing this walk around. And I see Dr. K. I'm like, Dr. K, what's up? And he didn't know my name, but he's like, the bear hugger. (laughs) So I bear hug people. That's my fault. For us, we came out of the storm. For some friends of ours, their child did not make it through the storm. It's interesting, we got the bill about a month later from the hospital. Can you imagine what that bill was? Let's just say it was a hefty amount over $1 million. Thankful for insurance, but we were still liable to pay quite a bit of it. And I will tell you this, I will always pay no matter what, because that kept my kids' heart beating. I don't care how long I pay that off. I will pay that cost because I love my son. And I say that because not only in learning the heart of Jesus does he expose our hearts, but he also also reveals his heart to us as well. You see, they ask two questions of Jesus. Do you care? And then in verse 41, it says, And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? That even the wind and sea obey him. It's as if Jesus is saying, Do I care? Oh, watch and see. I'll show you if I care. Jesus takes them on a journey. A journey that moves towards Gethsemane. And it's because Jesus knows that every person in this room, including me, has a heart problem. 
that when we enter into the storm, we do not naturally trust God. We do not naturally turn to Him in dependence. We do not naturally rest in His goodness until whatever happens, happens, knowing that He will be with us along the way. If anything, we try to deal with it in our own wisdom, deal with it in our own strength, and usually make more of a mess of it than it would have been. We have hearts that naturally do not trust Him. And Jesus says, you need heart surgery to have a heart that when I call you into the storm, you will trust me. And you will trust my heart for you. It's ironic that when Jesus is in Gethsemane, it mentions that He also was looking forward to the forecast of the next day and it called for a storm. He knew He was going to enter into the wrath of God. He knew He was going to enter into the dark clouds of the justice that all of our sins deserve. And He sweat drops of blood and trembled. Who was asleep this time? The disciples. But He still moves into that storm. And unlike the disciples who were not alone and who had Jesus with them, Jesus will enter into this storm all alone, abandoned by His disciples, His best friends, and His own Father turning His face away while the wrath of God is being poured out for all of our sin. The Father who loves you so much who would send His Son to do that. And the Son who loves you so much that He would endure that storm for you. There was no one there while Jesus was hanging on the cross to say, peace, be still. He endured it and exhausted it all so that we could have new hearts, so that you could have new hearts, so that when the storm comes, you could say by the power of the Spirit, I know He cares for me. And we still go through times where we doubt that, don't we? But at the same time, we have power by the Spirit to say, I know you care for me because Calvary proves it. I'm going to go home tonight. I'm going to kiss my boy Noah, who loves to play soccer and football. And he loves to show you his scar on his back and say, look how cool that is. Because they went in through his back. And I'll put him to bed. But I know God is good, not simply because I get to put my son to bed tonight, but because the Son of God was put in a grave and rose from the grave. And so now at the right hand of the Father, if and when He calls you to a storm, when you're exhausted and it's beyond your ability, and if you question if He cares, you can say, I know what He's doing. He knows what He's doing. I'll be honest with Him as I walk through this. It's exposing things in my heart. He's revealed His heart to me on the cross. I'll end with this. It's a sweet hymn for you. I think you probably sung it here for worship. This is one that you should just memorize and commit to sing to your own soul. Be still, my soul. Your God does undertake to guide the future as he has the past. Your hope, your confidence, let nothing shake.
all now mysterious will be bright at last. Be still, my soul, the waves and winds still know. His voice who ruled them while he dwelled below. He cares for you. Calvary proves it. Let's pray. Father, we love your word. We love the honesty that there is about the disciples and how scared they were. Helps us acknowledge that we get scared and afraid. Jesus, help us know that you know what you're doing when you call us into the storm. And we can trust your heart because you've proved how much you care for us by dying and rising for us and ascending to the Father's right hand for us. For every student in this room, I ask that you draw near to them and speak words in their heart. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. We ask this all in Jesus' name.